0: In
1: many common brain disorders, symptoms often manifest in ways many of us would not expect or understand. In addition to manic episodes and the clinical implications of living with psychiatric disorders, visual hallucinations create a different experience for many individuals. With a recently awarded Harvard Catalyst pilot grant, Dr. Paolo Lizzano is looking to further understand the visual system and cognitive functioning in people with psychosis. Paolo Lizzano is an instructor in psychiatry at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center.
0: Good morning, Dr. Lozano. Welcome to the show. Uh, good morning. Um, how are you holding up? How are you doing in this time?
2: Uh, I don't think I'm doing all right. Uh, things are quite busy, but uh, I think that that's great. <laughs> I, I thrive in you know, having, you know, to, to balance many different things. So I find this quite a fun part of research and clinical work.
0: So you were awarded a Harvard Catalyst pilot grant to improve visual hallucinations in people with schizophrenia and other psychosis. Why do you want to focus on visual hallucinations?
2: Yeah, so this is a a great question and one that I ask myself quite a bit. I've had a long, uh, winding road to psychiatry Mm -hmm. uh, and to studying psychiatric disorders, in particular psychosis, Uh, but the work that I've done uh, in my time doing research in psychiatry and the work of others have motivated me to try and better understand the visual system and how the visual system works in uh, psychiatric disorders and in particular psychosis uh, and how they lead to visual hallucinations. Mm-hmm. And so while the visual system has been increasingly been recognized as an important side of pathology in patients with schizophrenia and other psychoses. They are often understudied and overlooked since researchers primarily focus on studying auditory hallucinations. And this is despite the fact that we know that visual hallucinations are often associated with greater overall hallucinations and delusions, Mm -hmm. and that this results in poor performance on processing visual information, uh, as well as with greater negative symptoms that uh, are highly implicated with social functioning in patients with psychotic disorders. But another reason for studying the, the visual system is my, my work with studying the eye as a window into the brain, mm. which we've been able to show that there are changes that occur in the brains of individuals with psychosis that can be visualized through the eye. And that these changes in the eye are associated with symptoms of psychosis, Uh, overall cognitive functioning, as well as uh, functioning in the real world. But the the most important link uh, that that I think is the most exciting is the fact that uh, relatively recently we learned about a causal location in the brain that is associated with visual hallucinations. And this is, uh, was led by the work uh, by a group uh, in Dr. Michael Fox's group, who used to be at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, where they found a causal location in the brain that's associated with visual hallucinations. This, when taken together with other correlational data demonstrating that this same region of the brain is associated with visual processing and potentially visual hallucinations in people with psychotic disorders. We thought that this was a a great opportunity to target this brain region with a non-invasive way of stimulating the brain to see if we can improve visual hallucinations and visual processing in individuals with psychosis.
0: How much do we know about visual hallucinations? Where do they come from?
2: This is another great question. And despite visual hallucinations being a known entity in psychiatric disorders, in particular in psychosis for a long time, we actually don't know a lot about uh, where they come from, how they manifest, uh, who's more likely to be implicated, uh, and lastly, where where are they coming from, uh, as you mentioned. And so over time, there have been numerous hypotheses that have been suggested uh, to explain the origin of visual hallucinations. And these include psychophysiologic, which can be due to a disturbance of the structure of the brain. This could be due to psycho biochemical changes, uh, which can be a change in the neurotransmitters in the brain. And then, you know, an area that psychiatry is predominantly focused on is the psychodynamic aspect, which is an emergence of the unconscious into consciousness. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we've learned about visual hallucinations by the work done actually in other fields, and so in ophthalmology and in neurology. And so there are uh, disorders that are primarily affect the eye or primarily affect the brain and are thought to be organic causes of visual hallucinations. Mm-hmm. And so these have been well described, and you know, often our, our colleagues in neurology and ophthalmology can make a, a diagnosis uh, based off of the clinical presentation. However, this does not exist or has not existed in psychiatry. And this is an an area that's often, uh, in in my opinion, under taught in psychiatry residency training. And so, you know, part this is partly due to there isn't a lot of information out there, but also this is due to a, a lack of interest in learning about visual hallucinations, given that auditory hallucinations are... Uh, provided with much more attention. However, there was a study by uh, Gauntlet Gilbert in 2003 where, you know, he descriptively described, you know, visual hallucinations and how they occur in people with psychiatric disorders, not just uh, psychotic disorders. Mm-hmm. And he was able to describe uh, in, in quite a bit of detail, and I, and I can sort of name a few of those things, but he noted that in individuals with psychiatric disorders, they often experience visual hallucinations as a supernatural occurrence. They were usually humanoid figures, and there was a wide range of visual forms. So what this means is that individuals noted changes in color, in shape, in movement of objects uh, uh, in their vision. And what, what they also found is that, you know, these visual hallucinations often occur during tra- times of stress when individuals are feeling lonely, or when they were in an area of low visual sensory input, so dark places. So you can think of, you know, if you're, if you're sitting in a place where, you know, it's dark, you're feeling lonely and you're stressed, this could be an area of, of high vulnerability. And while these episodes are usually short in, in individuals experiencing visual hallucinations, they often result in delusions, which could be difficult to shake. Um, and this, this leaves people feeling overwhelmed and frightened uh, when they're experiencing right. these visual hallucinations.
0: Wow. So in the study, you're using electrical stimulation to try to improve hallucinations. Can you talk about this treatment and how it's been used in the past?
2: Uh, yes. This is a, an area that I'm quite excited about uh, because non-invasive uh, brain stimulation, which is... Uh, the one proposed in this study uh, can be used, you know, as the the word describes, non-invasively, so minimal side effects, and can be targeted to a specific location in the brain. And so, what we're able to do is take information from neuroscience about how the brain works and what brain regions are associated with visual hallucinations. In this case, and we can design a targeted uh, treatment or targeted stimulation to a particular area. Mm. Since the advent of transcranial direct current stimulation, there has been uh, technological advances which have increased the and improved upon the spatial ac- accuracy of brain stimulation. And so now we're able to, with greater focality, target a particular region. On top of that, they've developed Electrical uh, modeling of the brain. And so what you can do is using sophisticated software is determine what a stimulation in one area will do to the current flow in the brain, and will mm-hmm. also inform you of what other brain regions might be uh, impacted, either positively or negatively. Mm-hmm. And so what we're able to do in this study is take, you know, the the Finding of uh, a particular brain region, in this case the association visual cortex, being associated with visual hallucinations, and taking this high special def, uh, spatial definition uh, technique for brain stimulation, such that we're able to target this specific region with this high definition transcranial direct current stimulation to see if we can improve symptoms uh, and visual processing in patients with psychotic disorders, experiencing visual hallucinations.
0: Wow, that's pretty incredible. Um, so you're an instructor in psychiatry, but you started out medical school interested in cardiovascular research. What made you change your focus? I, I, I ask myself this question all the time
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it, I feel like it's constantly evolving. Yeah. But uh, I, the, as I mentioned earlier, the, my path to psychiatry has been long, winding, and, and a very informative path. Path. Um, I started off interested in oncology after I participated in a summer research program in uh, New York City, mm-hmm. at, uh, and this program is geared toward uh, providing research opportunities to underrepresented minorities. And so this really provided me with the excitement and stimulation needed uh, to to Helped me advance in you know what my teenage self uh, wanted to do because I I had no idea uh, and so I worked I had the opportunity to work in a uh, lab that was focused on detecting cancer during the earliest stages of metastasis and I found this work fascinating and the science fascinating and the clinical implications were you know amazing in that you know we we can you know, use laboratory techniques to be able to identify something so early. I, you know, encountered several mentors along my path who, you know, guided me towards what may be a potentially uh, good next step for me, because again, I still wasn't (laughs) fully aware of what that might be. So I, you know, with their help, uh, uh, I applied to a combined MD-PhD program, and I attended uh, this program at New Jersey Medical School uh, in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And uh, during my PhD, I was introduced to cardiovascular research. And here's where I I started my work in identifying molecular pathways that can enhance cardiac survival after an ischemic heart injury. And this really, you know, led me down the path of trying to figure out, you know, what are molecular mechanisms associated with injury? How can we reverse those? How can we target them in in a Mm -hmm. specific way? However, it wasn't until my last years of medical school that I d- discovered the field of psychiatry, and I was really drawn to it because of the multidisciplinary approach to care uh, mm-hmm. and the human connection that I felt was missing from oncology and cardiology, at least in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It was also helpful that psychiatry has a great work- the work-life work balance, um, which was yeah. a huge draw uh, for mm-hmm. me. I, I had met my wife during uh, my PhD years, and she... Um, got into medical school. Um, We ended up being in the same class as well. So that was was great and and reaping the benefits of the (laughs) work-life balance now. But but also, you know, at at least at the time, looking at how far psychiatry has advanced from a, a translational neuroscience perspective compared to the experience that I had with oncology and cardiovascular research. It just you know, there was a lot left to be desired. And so I felt that, you know, w- with my past experience, I-, I could potentially positively contribute to um, this field uh, from, a, from a science or scientific perspective um, to, you know, and enhance how we understand, diagnose, prognosticate and treat uh, psychiatric disorders. And in my case, particularly psychotic disorders. Mm.
0: So you've talked a little bit about how you made the switch from cardiovascular research to psychiatry and a little bit of why you're interested in it. But can you give a little more about what interests you about psychiatry and studying schizophrenia and psychosis?
2: Sure. Uh, So, uh, you know, similar to to before, this is still an evolving area for myself as well. But it's been such a wonderful field. uh, And I'm so glad that you know this is this is where I ended up and so as, as a psychiatrist you know you're not only able to join your patients on their past present and future journeys but you're also, you're also able to grow and learn through them as well and so I feel like I've become a better a more rounded person because of the work with my patients and I hope that I've provided them with the same level of growth as well during residency training I became particularly drawn to patients with psychotic disorders this is because they were primarily young, uh, came from a highly traumatized background uh, and or were underprivileged, uh, which you know some of those spoke to you know some of my upbringing and so I, I felt that I was able to relate to them better than some of my other patients, and I felt that that I could offer them some help in navigating life through a most difficult time for
0: them. Um, how does studying the visual system allow us? to understand more about the brain?
2: So th- this is a great question. So unlike other parts of the brain and how the brain functions, this visual system is actually one that's w- one of the most well-studied regions of the brain. And we actually do know, lo- know a lot about how it works. So how is information, you know, from a, a visual signal, how is that information encoded in the eye, and how that information is translated from the eye to the brain's visual cortex, and how this information then feeds forward this information to other parts of the brain that allows a person to respond to that visual uh, input. And this could trigger uh, a memory from our past. However, despite the depth of knowledge, uh, we know very little about how the visual system from the eye to the brain is impaired in individuals with psychosis. And how I, men- I mentioned previously, you know, some of the work that we do is trying to map out this uh, pathway and trying to see if we can identify peripheral markers in the eye using eye imaging techniques borrowed from ophthalmology that can be informative of the structural or functional changes that are happening in the brain, mm-hmm. as well as learning about how, what these changes mean regarding person's real life functioning and their psychosis symptoms. So I'm really excited about how this body of work you know, that this eye imaging that I'm doing and this brain stimulation of the association visual cortex will come together to create a program where we're providing a line of care for people with not just psychosis, uh, but, you know, people experiencing these visual hallucinations or uh, visual perceptual uh, abnormalities or have visual processing deficits so that we can provide a way to not only evaluate, diagnose, and diagnose uh, these uh, Uh, issues that that individuals might experience, but also provide a way to stratify patients so that we can provide uh, some form of treatment, and one of those being transcranial direct occurrence simulation.
0: Mm. So we've talked a little bit about your study, but can you talk to us about more of the details of the study and how it's being conducted?
2: So we're we're excited that Harvard Catalyst, uh, the vision scientist pilot study, provided us with the funding to to carry out this pilot uh, study. And so in a small number of people, so we're going to examine about uh, 10 participants with a history of visual hallucinations and who are also experiencing moderate symptoms of visual hallucinations. And Mm -hmm. we will be targeting that brain location uh, that was identified uh, in the lesion network analysis and, We're going to be targeting that bilaterally, so on each side of the association visual cortex, and we're going to be uh, determining whether at one week or one month they've had symptomatic improvement in regards to their visual hallucinations. But we're also going to be determining whether they've had any improvements in the processing of visual information, Mm -hmm. as well as some other symptoms that are important in psychosis, so negative symptoms, which I mentioned earlier. These include uh, apathy and uh, poor social functioning, uh, which really can impair uh, a person's real life functioning with psychotic disorders. We also want to check to see if we're engaging the target, uh, which is a term commonly used uh, in the field of research. So we want to make sure that, you know, that we're targeting this brain region, but that there are electrical changes that are occurring due to this stimulation and that those changes in those uh, electrical signals are associated with the improvements that we're seeing in, or that we hope to see in uh, symptoms and cognition.
0: What are the next steps after this study is concluded?
2: Yeah. So uh, again, we're really excited. We're hoping that, you know, the results are positive. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's going to be the first study to use this lesion network guided approach to treatment uh, and you know there's enough convergent evidence to suggest that this is a a causal important region and so uh, we really have high hopes that 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 the the positive results from this study will lead us to uh, proposing a treatment protocol that could safely engage the target and improve symptoms of visual hallucinations in people with psychosis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that this study, while small, will allow us to calculate how many subjects we'll need in a subsequent study uh, mm-hmm. that would likely be much larger, uh, and so you know that that's going to set us up uh, pretty well for a subsequent uh, grant submission. And the results from this study will also tell us whether or not you know we're using the right form of stimulation. Mm -hmm. and for the right amount of duration and for the correct number of days. So it could be that the stimulation that we're proposing may need to be tweaked in in one or or more ways to try and enhance the effect that we're seeing. There's different ways of doing that with transcranial direct current stimulation. And so, you know, we, we hope that, you know, with this pilot data in hand, we'd be competitive to apply for funding from the National Institute of Mental Health. Mm -hmm. be an R21, which can be used if further development is needed, or an R01 if the utility of this treatment paradigm needs to be tested on a larger sample of patients.
0: Well, that sounds incredible. We look forward to what your research brings. Thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you so much for having
1: me. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, Please rate us on iTunes and help us spread the word about the amazing research taking place across the Harvard community.
0: To learn more about the guests on this episode, visit our website, catalyst.harvard.edu thinkresearch.